I just yeah. want to touch on touch on your you know your background in in data protection and privacy. Yeah. What you know drew you to that discipline, and what are your goals with with, with doing that? Is this kind of like sentimental purpose to you being in that field? I just want to make money. That is, <laughs> and that is the perfect answer. <laughs> Welcome to the Other Sound Podcast. I'm your host Toby, and I'm joined by my amazing wife and co-host Larry. Join us as we chat about our careers and share life experiences that just might help you navigate your career too. All right. Welcome to episode 24. We have a special guest with us today, all the way from the UK. His name is Martin Beckmora. Martin is a lawyer and a digital media expert based in London, UK, one of my favorite cities. With a specialization in privacy and data protection, he has built a successful career in private data protection and community management. In addition to his work, his legal work, Martin is also a social media influencer and branding expert. He's a creator and founder of the online platform Tales of Nigerians, which shares everyday just interviews with people worldwide. This platform reaches over 200,000 Nigerians in more than 30 countries. Dave, Martin, we're very excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks, Toby. Nice to be here. We have, so we've had a few guests on the show so far. This is episode 24. But I think that this is the first time that I'm meeting someone whose career I can't quite pinpoint. I can't quite say. This is the one thing that Martin does. You're a lawyer, a data privacy protection expert, a community manager, a community facilitator. You are also, and we're going to get into your books in, in, in a little bit. But if you could describe how you see yourself and, and, and what you do, how would you describe yourself? Yeah. First of all, thanks for having me. You know, really, really glad to be here. I think I, I will start with saying I belong to everybody and I belong to nobody. <laughs> if, that, if that makes some sense. Yeah, but in terms of description for myself, you know, I I like to see myself as a tech lawyer, which which more or less encompasses a whole of the things I do. Because I mean, when you when you look at it fully, everything is kind of like linked back to, to me being a lawyer. So I write because I'm a lawyer. It makes it easy for me. I mean, to take privacy because it takes a whole of compliance, knowing regulations to, you know, get into, you know, fields and stuff like that. So it's more or less using a central expertise to kind of like branch out to different areas that I feel like are connected. And then the interoperability is easier to navigate. So, because I mean, it's that kind of step, right? Going for your first baby could be hard, but moving from one to four, it's often easy if, if you know, if, if you don't want to like stop. So, yeah, I think so. The first step was getting through with law school, becoming a lawyer, and then figuring out, okay, which area do I want to specialize in? And immediately I picked IT or tech law. Every other door just kind of like opened up through, through that part. Okay, that's interesting. And so how does social media play? How does social media play into law? Or like you being yeah, a social media expert? Yeah, I knew you were going to ask that question. So, <laughs> you know, back, back when I was in school, like every undergraduate back then in Nigeria, I 
I wanted to keep busy. I wanted to do something to explore the talents I thought I had. Um, so I was involved in school politics. Before school politics, I was writing heavily for a couple of regional newspapers in Anambra State back then. I went to Nanda School University, Oka. So basically, I was writing for about five newspapers then. Basically, just to you know get some extra money to yeah. hang around with friends and be the big boy in the clique. So, and you know, I was having some you know small change in quotes coming out from you know those writing gigs, and I kind of like improved from there. Got involved with school politics, and because I was kind of like a little bit popular in campus city, it was easier for me to buy for a post and then win without really spending much. And from there, I became the SGPRO of my school. Set up. I ran a very successful school blog that made money on its own every week. And I employed students while I was still a student myself, you know, who kind of like helped to bring in any stories from around the universities that we published on the page. And so from there, I began to pick interest in, in the media because it was really amazing what news does, you know, kind of like how it spreads fast. And I know this for one because when I was in school, the easiest way to get information was if you're able to get your hands on the school's leaflets. And this happened once a week. So basically, if you are a student, you are getting information about what was happening in the rest of the campus after most lecturers must have gotten it through the leaflets. So it was a limited form of personal information. It wasn't efficient enough, and I wanted to do something about it. So I started with picking these leaflets every week. Immediately it comes to me, I would pick every single news day and put on the school blog. So as the lecturers are getting the students, are almost getting it at the same time. And at some point, lecturers really didn't bother going to pick the leaflets because they could just log on the SUG blog and read all the news there. And that way, I began to understand the power of community, you know, the power of managing information the way it flows. And slowly from there, I began to nurture the idea of creating my own platform. But then law is a very tasking career, it's a very tasking field. Yeah. And, you know, a little after that, I finished school, went to law school and I had to f- focus on my studies. By the time I was done and about going for service, I decided to, you know, take the social media aspect very seriously. And that was when I created the Tales of Nigerians, which has its own story entirely different from this. Yeah, it sounds like you're a pioneer. Like you, <laughs> you're able to start that publication in a place I, and, and you didn't even realize how much impact it would have. We didn't even realize that there was an actual need for it. I'm sure like over time you're like, okay, this is something that people need. People like to like hear these stories, read these stories. And then speaking about Tales of Nigeria, you know, that's another thing that you've grown and you've developed it and you've you've found a way to share real life stories of people, you know, regular everyday Nigerians and the way that other people can relate to it. What is this about storytelling generally? that really resonates with you? What is about storytelling that you enjoy so much? Everything, you know, everything, everything, our life, our, our walking stories, you know, everything about story stories fascinates me. And, yeah. you know, there's a popular saying, I've forgotten who said it, but I think I read it somewhere that if you don't tell your story, other people will tell it for you. And, you know, quite from what I was, yeah, when I was a very young lad, I used to tell very funny stories to my classmates in secondary school. So I, I, I went to a boarding school for a little backstory since we are now in stories. And, <laughs> you know, you know, but boarding schools are quite a thing in terms of food. Food, yeah. you know, was rationed. You never get enough, you know. There, there was always space in your tummy to want more. And 
I think, of, I mean, I'm always hungry. I need food. What do I do? So in GS3, I figured out an idea that what if I told my classmates some funny stories, you know? And in exchange for the stories, they give me their food. And I'm like, mm. was this going to work? Then, you know, one Sunday night doing prep, I kind of like started telling my, my neighbor some funny stories about a kid in my neighborhood back home. And this guy was sweet to this story that before I got halfway into it, two other people around my desk had already joined us. So we were now four. And towards the end of the story, two more people joined us, making us six. And by the time I finished, they told me to tell another one. And I said, well, on the promise that tomorrow morning, each of you is going to put a piece of yam from your food into mine. And, you know, it was a verbal agreement and they totally agreed. And I told them another story. Anyway, by the end of the night, all our names entered the noisemakers list. Because, <laughs> of course. And it was a very good flog. <laughs> but I mean, you ate um, a lot then. But you still got your yam, right? Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> the next day, I definitely got my yam. And, you know, that was where the whole, the whole idea that, you know, stories can move people, it can do things. And, you know, I, I wanted to tell good stories. I, you know, more or less, I don't identify myself as a writer, I prefer the term storyteller because I feel like it takes a whole lot to be a, a writer. And the whole process that goes into writing, I mean, we're not going to delve into it now, but then I prefer mm-hmm. to just see myself as a storyteller because I don't, the techniques I employ are quite simple. If you read any of my stories, I use simple everyday words, easy communication. I know it's nothing about the sky or the flowers or any of those descriptive <laughs> form of writing, you know, that connects. I just go straight to the point, you know. That's very accurate. <laughs> That's very accurate. Um, um, <laughs> no, 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 no shade to the real writers because I mean they do the hard job. No, I please shade so them. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you are sobbing me. No. Everything you are saying. <laughs> no, I feel like it's coming directly at me. <laughs> I mean. This is why you know, I don't identify myself as a writer. And one of the rules in my community in terms of Nigerians is why we grew really fast is I, I encourage people to see you don't have to be a writer, but just open up yourself, share genuinely what you feel. Because at the end of the day, it's about knowing someone. And if I really want to know you, I don't want you to hide behind the cosmetics of the story you're trying to tell. Because the cosmetics would make it look so unreal. I'm not interested in the cosmetics. Yeah. That's for fiction, right? So I'm interested in your real life. What is going on? Just pour it out as open as it was. So yeah, from back then till now, I've been able to build and develop that style of writing, which I've been able to roll into those of Nigerians and you know create a platform that has you know since 2018 been a very huge success till now. That. Yeah, I I really like your story you shared about you know being on campus, being on you know in the hostel, boarding school, and having to you know trade your story for food. Like, I don't know, why I didn't think about that when I was in boarding school. It seems like now that now that I'm saying it, it makes so much sense. Like people actually do that back then. I would probably trade something like maybe I'll do your assignment for you or something. Now it feels like doing an assignment yeah, yeah. sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> of course, it was. It was really tired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I like that. You know, you are. You know, you are open to like just sharing stories without 
too much embellishment or too much cosmetic, like you said. One thing that I've observed a lot about, you know, when I when I listen to stories from like Nigerians, now books that Nigerians write, and we'll get into your book in a little bit, but I I I just I hear I I I see a lot of simplicity, you know, when I read like Nigerian books sometimes. Uh, when I even listen to just a Nigerian telling me a story, it just seems very simple, very grounded. Do you feel like, you know, do you feel like that is the truest form of storytelling? Do you feel like there's a place for, you know, you know sort of the Western world, the way there's a lot of polishing and the way there's lots of like embellishments to the stories that have been told here? Do you feel like that, for us Africans, do you feel like, the real way that we communicate is by being very simple, going to the brass tacks, going straightforward, and when we're sharing stories to people. Yeah, that's that's a very interesting question you've asked because I mean I keep I keep having these sort of arguments with few friends who I know who are into full time publishing and and writers both back home and here. The thing is, the first question I ask myself is. Who do I have in mind while writing a story? Who do I want to read this story? Or who will read this story? That is one. Secondly, you know, who are my audience? And basically, I can't give my audience what they can't understand. Right? For instance, of course, I wouldn't want to go back to, you know, to saying things that would seem like I'm shading the real guys, the real authors and writers who put in the real work. But an average Joe in Lagos, Ibadan, Enugu, or Anita, who is finishing a very excruciating 7 to 9 p.m. job on the bus, going home, just wants to laugh or just wants to feel encouraged, right? They're not interested in the sound of the wind or how it was blowing. <laughs> you know, they just want to, like, get into it, right? Like, get into it. The plate is there already. Okay, have you eaten the food? No, I, I don't care about the color of the spoon or the sound the spoon makes. Just like, just tell me you've already eaten the food. And it's in that simplicity that they are, they are able to connect to who you are telling these stories to. And you must have noticed this. Our people are very simple people. Like I said, the audience you are writing for. Of, you, you may know, but then I, I write a whole lot on my Facebook page. And it was this simplicity that made me garner up to over 250,000 followers on my Facebook page right now. And that is because 400, 500 words, I've been able to tell a story that if I'm, if I give it to a real writer, it will take them about 10,000 words to finish that story. And it's because I'm interested in connecting to people as, you know, as fast as I can, as simple as I can. We could argue that that may not be the true form of storytelling as we experience right here in the West. But then again, the question is, who is your audience? Right, so I, I read all of Chino Achebe's books, right? All of it. I've read Soinka for, you know, at least so too. There is an underlining simplicity that you see in some of these stories, in these writers that, you know, that we've come to know. And in some of the modern writers too, you know, there are quite a few who are kind of like adopting it. Some of them are my friends and some are not. So I wouldn't want to call any names to avoid, you know, clashing heads. <laughs> but then it's still our people. You know, if you are writing an African story for, say, an European or American audience, it's nice. You can blemish it with things they can understand, they, things they can associate with themselves. Because that would make sense. So you are telling an African story, but the audience is not African. Yeah. So basically, if you are trying to explain what's eating Eba, 
at 9 p.m. East to an European, you have to put it in the context using words they can relate to it so they can be able to understand the kind of experience that you are having because you want them to relate to it fully. But if you are talking to a Nigerian who is living in Lagos and you are using words that he, he, he or she is not encountering in their everyday living, it will seem like you are, you are, you know, you're probably speaking to the moon or trying to create euphoria or what they don't understand. At the end of the day, they will shout, Mado, and that is it. <laughs> they don't need to understand you. And they will hear you, oh, more, you didn't de- de- speak, shall you? De- ah, you didn't de- write, shall Ah, oh, more, guy. But no picture, how much? Ah, okay, yeah, don't worry, don't worry. We go, we go read them. Yeah. And yeah, I think. Your people. Yeah, go on. No, like, no, it's it's very interesting to hear that. And I think from everything that you're saying, it's just very clear that you're, you're very down to earth and you have, like, heart for people, even just beyond, like, your circle, right? Because you're right, and it just highlights how, I guess, everyone has a different thing that they're passionate and they're called for. Because on, I know you've been saying, oh, you want to be mindful. I mean, you can share, but I get it, but, like, Toby on the other end is the kind of person that would write. If he's to explain a bridge to you, he will start by telling you that. So if you walk down, <laughs> there's a particular bridge like that, that, that we always drive past through when we have to go downtown. So I'm just going to use that bridge for context. It's called Lions Gate Bridge in, North Van- in Vancouver. Yeah. So if, if he's to talk about that bridge, he probably will start to say that. So from the horizon of Park Royale, which is a stop. <laughs> I have to start from, I have to start from, after from the metal, the metal that was used to bridge. What kind of metal it is? Where was it? Where, when, when was that metal like, discovered? And then the, the Asian community that moved to Vancouver to develop, to, like, develop the metal work industry in Vancouver. Before we get to the bridge. I have to yeah. So he was literally give you history class and because I'm, 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 I think I can share the sentiment like you that I don't really consider myself as writing, as a writer, sorry, sorry yeah. but recently because of like line of work and you're trying to grow your, your, your content base and just solidify yourself, I started writing. And so he's the one teaching me how to write. And so he's like, oh, you have to kind of like break it down a bit, you know, like he explained it to me. And then sometimes he will start talking and like, you have to explain and he will grill me. <laughs> he literally will grill me to get like more information because that's his own style and that's yeah. what he believes. But the good thing about it is that that's his own form of storytelling. And it's, and I've seen like, it's drawn me so much to watch things that I don't even care about. Like things I don't pay, I don't really care so much because of yeah. the way he would start you know, but then now, and I guess he has his own audience, right? There are people that would actually be so fascinated by that. And then now hearing you, it's another form of storytelling, but then you're coming down to the level of the people that you are, like you're attracted to. Because even like Tales of Nigeria, it's like everyday people. You're not going for like high up, you're not going for high end people, you're not going for people that are up there, you're going for like everyone. So it makes so much sense how we all have like, if you put it on the scale, it balances right because everyone is just passionate about different things so yeah so i think i love that because i don't think i've ever seen anyone that's maybe writing or telling stories but is going to like everyday life and like maybe sit on the street at this so yeah, i'm not very 
versatile <laughs> like that Lagos lifestyle like that Nigeria yeah but sitting on the everyday street and that and the thing and all of that you don't see that I think the closest to idea that I have of something like Tales of Nigeria like humans of New York yeah, it reminds, it reminds me, uh, yeah, it reminds me so much of that, like when I saw it. So yeah, I think that's what was, what was the influence for starting Tales of Nigerian? How did that start? And you know, what has your experience been like so far? You know, running that that community. Yeah, so I I started Tales of Nigerians in, in 2018, shortly shortly after law school. So when I was finishing law school, I knew. I knew I, I didn't. I didn't want to practice law in the conventional way, in the traditional way that you know that law is being practiced in Nigeria. I, I knew I had different plans. I had no idea what those plans were. But each time I'm in class, you know, actively sleeping, I knew <laughs> I, I'm, I'm paying for life if I don't figure out what to do with my life because I I can't help the sleep. You know, it just kind of like comes on its own, and I definitely know it's between me, this sleep, and you know, messing up my life if I don't figure out what I'm going to do. And so, you know, I, I I had a very long introspection. I you remember when I was there I talked about the work I did back in the university when I was in the student's union and, you know, how I was able to use my office to pass the information across and slowly peeled from there. And back in school, I'd already started writing. So by the time I was leaving school, I had about five published materials. I had four books and one magazine. So after law school, I asked myself, how do I bring this style of storytelling to a greater number of people? I read very diverse things. I read any and everything. But then I knew I don't want to communicate to people with this language. I know I want to use something very simple that everybody can pick up. And you know, it's from the idea that Nigerians don't read. So in my mind, I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to be one of those people who complain. I'm, I'm in a circle of people who complain about the poor reading form. I want to, I want to bring this question. So what can we read? Right? So where can we start? There has to be a set of points. And so that was when I figured out, okay, fine, let me start with the community on Facebook. I, I was an active Facebook user back then. And uh, I'd followed Humans of New York from as far back as 2014, 2013, 2014. So I, I followed Brendan's work for, for a very long time. But then I knew that, yeah. you know, that style was good, but it needed our own flavor, something for us in our own ways. So basically, rising from my own experience back in school and then looking at what Brendan was doing with Humans of New York, I created Tales of Nigerians. Basically, we started from a group. First. And the whole idea was come here at the end of your day or at the beginning of your day and share everything going on in your life. The guarantee I'm giving you is that nobody's going to judge you, nobody's going to insult you, regardless of whatever you say. And it was a very tough order. At the time, Facebook was very toxic. This was the period when safety and security was very low on the platform. So yeah. people got away with saying a whole lot of things to people. It was a very toxic environment. So I came with the guarantee that you can be in this community, share your stories, and nothing was going to happen. And, and it appealed to my audience. And then I had barely 10,000 people following me, but I was able to convince about 5,000 of them to join the community within the first... Fast forward to 2019, I moved to, to Lagos for my youth service. And we kind of like picked up from there. So the number was growing. I started posting everyday stories from the streets of Lagos. So when I'm going to work in the morning... 
I would put my camera in my backpack. And then at the end of work, instead of going home, I would kind of like branch out to the street and then interview random people, pick up their stories and then take permission from them to post it on the, on the page. I also had a friend who was helping out, you know, at the same time. We kind of like grew really fast and I caught the attention of Facebook in 2019. They invited me for an event on the island they were doing in, in Lagos at, at the time. So I went, saw the team from Facebook, exchanged ideas with them. They provided me with some resources. A couple of months after that, they flew me out to Ghana to attend another community event that you know they organized. Provided more learning and training resources you know, for me and my community then. And I felt like I would I would give the progress of Tales of Nigerians back to Facebook because they invested a whole lot both in in resources financially and otherwise. You no, know, they invested heavily in terms of finance into my community in 2021. Yeah. So and they invested yeah. up to eighty thousand dollars into wow. the community. And that kind of like, you know, it was like the game changer for us. And yeah. that, I mean, that was when this whole thing came in full circle because, of, and then, you know, I got verified and the follower, followership kind of like blew, blew off from there. And the whole idea is, I kind of like got confused that, that this style works, yeah. right? Like it works as well as the palm frond smelling like carrots green. It works as well as saying, Okunko picked up his carrot and ate full stop. So there will always be an audience for sophistry and there will always be an audience for simplicity. And I, I felt like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I went for the same side. Oh, that's it. So basically you're more active on Facebook, right? Like everything, your content and social media is more on Facebook. Yeah, basically, because I mean, that's where I get my everyday people who are as real. Instagram, nah. It makes it. I mean, I'm not really a Facebook person, so I kept going to like the Tales of Nigeria on Instagram, and I'm like, I wasn't sure. I was like, oh, it's grown, but I couldn't really see much information. But then it makes sense. So I believe for this, maybe this would drag the those of us who run away from Facebook. <laughs> maybe this would drag me to actually go engage and see more, like into like what you're doing with this community. But yeah, but I feel like after. Our parents started joining Facebook. I was like, I'm out. <laughs> no, I we, just uh, went out. <laughs> we used to be quite active on, on Instagram, but then, you know, we went through a little bit of restructuring after we were funded by Facebook. And so yeah. we kind of like focused on the community post activities on, on Instagram, on Twitter, and on our websites. So we wanted to like, we changed. So our team was restructured. We, we changed a little bit of the style of content that we are putting out to make sure the community itself on Facebook was more strong, was stronger and kind of like delivered to the, to the specific audience, you know, for which we are funded. Um, and so, yeah, hopefully by, by next year, we're looking at towards the end of this year or next year to, you know, to resume activities on, on Instagram and Twitter too. But yeah, predominantly, yeah. We are, on behalf of those of us we are Facebook who don't like Facebook that much. <laughs> come back. I... Please come back. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I just, I just, I started Facebook too. I, I think that there is something about Facebook that actually feels genuine sometimes. So you know, I, think, yeah. I don't know, I don't, I'm not describing it. But sometimes with Instagram, it just seems polished. It seems like oh, this is like a nice mm-hmm. creation of whatever. Um, mm-hmm. You know, everyone, everyone's profile is a bit created in, in a certain way. The layout is there and there, but Facebook just seems raw. It just feels like this is like unadulterated content, like. Leave it all. Leave it. 
like take it or leave it. It's what it is, um, which is why I appreciate Facebook sometimes. But you've carried this storytelling, you know, again from just starting with like publications there and there, writing for the different people. You took it into a community. Now you're taking it into like publishing, into like books. And you know, I've been reading Everyday Humans, the revived version that just came out a couple months ago. And it has, I believe, 76 stories in it. Yeah. And and I'll be honest with you, right? I've been out of Nigeria for like, I don't know, 12, 13 years. But reading those stories, it felt like someone just took my body, soul, and spirit and just dumped me in the middle (laughs) of my chest. (laughs) It felt like someone put me on bad beach somewhere and I was just observing everything. Like, oh, like it was like a throwback. It was like some kind of uh, spiritual transcendence, whatever. It felt like someone just put me in a different place. But I think that there is something to, you know, for people who are out of, outside of Nigeria, people in diaspora, wherever, North America, wherever they may be. Yeah. There's something, there's some value in like having these kind of stories, you know, being, being exposed to these kind of stories. You know, yeah. we don't get to watch NTA. We don't get to watch channels. We don't get to watch some of these broadcast media outlets or, or, or publication that, you know, Nigerians share their stories to. You know, yeah. so if we have a medium where, you know, we're able to get some of these stories and it's where it's like, you know, think back to when we were there or be able to like feel a bit more connected. I feel like there's, there's something to it. Did you have us in mind, Nigerians in the diaspora in mind, when you're writing these stories at all? Were you thinking, okay, you know what? This could be something that those of us, because you're also outside of Nigeria. So I'm sorry, you're around Nigerians who are outside of Nigeria. Did you feel like, people around you might read these stories and be able to reconnect back to like staying their experience back home. Did you think about that at all during the writing process? I'll be honest. No, I didn't. Who <laughs> <laughs> outside Nigeria? You know, you are giving me the feedback now and, and, and I'm really <laughs> glad you, you, feel, you feel this way. Yeah. You know, but honestly, I had zero idea it would evoke this kind of feeling or emotion when i was writing that story i felt like i was talking to i was writing to a distant friend trying to tell this person of my everyday encounters and so i and this is like a distant friend i've not seen in a long time who i was trying to show how my life was evolving every single day and so i tried to be as honest as i can as simple as i can believing as this friend is reading this story, they are seeing me, they are seeing my life, that I could have an idea how my life is progressing. That was what I had in mind. And with that in mind, once you are able to connect with some of the themes I used in this story, regardless of wherever you are on the face of the earth, it will call you home. And I assume that that's the feeling that it evoked in you because that kind of story... Put it on any panel, take it to any competition. It won't even be shortlisted. If I don't even come top 50, even top 100, definitely you not. Never know. You never know. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm frank with you because, I mean, there are certain words I put there on purpose to make sure it doesn't. Because at the end of the day, I wanted to be as genuine and as, as real as I can. And, and just to show that, you know, experiences can be as pure as they come. I understand the whole garnishing that comes with when you want to relate something to someone. 
But then I wanted to make it as as real as it was happening right there. In one of the stories, there was in so in the, in the reverse edition, there was one about a friend who left Nigeria a couple of couple of years back, and you know, back home, you know, he was a big a big guy living on the island, married a very young wife. She came in with the whole softness, so basically she didn't really have to do much in the because she had a couple of of staff, you know, doing things for her. But then this guy got a contract. I had to leave Nigeria. I convinced the wife they left. But then this lady was used to all the luxury she was getting in Lagos. But then definitely after she left, there was no way she could get that luxury. And then adjusting was hard. And it became an issue for them. And so he had to find a good way to explain to his lovely wife that, see, if you don't have mates here to cook your food, you have to cook this food for us. And for the first time in his life, very bizarre, weird, he found out that the wife didn't really know how to cook. You know, there's a difference between, you know, if you're, if you're not married to someone, you can assume they know how to cook. Right? You can assume because maybe you visit once, they make white rice and stew. You say, ah, okay, maybe they know how to cook. But it's a different ballgame when you live in this house with this person and they really have to cook, right? You eat rice today, you eat rice tomorrow, the next day, ah, madam, alpha. Like a wedding now, we can't be eating this, you know. Just and then you know the skills begin to fall off, and you have to decide: should we find a solution, or should this cause a very big problem for us? And so, you know, when I went into that story, and then I shared it towards the end. And when I ended that story, right my story, I had to call him, and then I spoke to him. I'm like, "Are you sure you want me to put this in this story?" He said, "Yeah." I mean, nobody's going to know I'm the one anyway, so you can as well go on and, and put it there. But I had to call him because after writing that story, I felt in that story, I felt to be in his situation with someone you love, trying to make efforts, learning how to cook yourself. Because, of course, both of them were lost. You didn't know. Making efforts to learn. And this person clearly frustrating your efforts to learn, preferring to be ordering food every single time and messing up your credit that you are trying to build. So, and you are coming from a place of love. They are coming from a place of consent. So, so you have to yeah. find a way to navigate all these things. It's yeah. very domestic. You may look at it outside and feel like, oh, there's no problem. But, you know, so you have it. Yeah, no, I, I remember the story. I read that. I think, I think it was called Midway Circles or something like that. But I remember the story in the book. Perfect, I, remember yeah. reading, and I remember reading that one. It was, I think, yeah, you described it from... A, like an husband and wife setting, but just so many other things, right? Yeah, that that brings that, that like that I can relate to with that story. Like, yeah, just some kind of luxuries that we enjoy in Nigeria, even space, even space. You know, you think of like where you probably grew up. You know, there was there was a there was probably like a backyard, or there was probably like a gate, and between the gate and your and your house, there was some distance. But like then you come here and everything is in blocks. Everything is like not that not everyone has like a lawn, not everyone has like you know a front yard. And so it was something as little as that. You can see that some of those luxuries that we take for granted in Nigeria, we don't have that here. But you just confirmed something to me, because I was gonna ask that. Yeah. Are you saying that the stories in that book they're all true stories? Because I thought they were like fictional. I thought you were making things up. Are they all true stories? There was, I mean, if if you read the pre pages before the real stories, yeah. you would have seen the description. Yeah, that all these stories are real. And 
I, I the, the things I changed in those stories were I changed names because a couple of my friends read almost everything I write. So basically, if she's yeah. giving you part, then she'll be able to figure out who it was. And I wouldn't want them to feel bad after giving me permission to write about them. Secondly, I altered the arrangement of when things happened. Mm. Again, to protect the those individuals because my friends will be able to figure it out. So every every single story in that, in that book is real. The only thing you would have to battle with your mind is I had to twist and change scenes, timing, and sequence more or less to protect the the the, the individuals involved in these stories. But yeah, so basically, you, you means... may not really know what is real or what is not unless you ask me. Wait, yeah. so, so, the, so the madman was a real person? Like, that was real? The madman. Every the story about the madman that I choose to. That's crazy. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> let me let me yeah let me just let me just give the backstory to that. So yeah. yeah, the the real story itself, the disguise itself is real. Yes. Okay. The the, the job of the guy is real. So the disguise yeah. is real. The job of the guy is real. Where I met him is not. Okay. More or less because given the type of given the kind of job that he does <laughs> and where he was, if I had set the exact place. Anybody reading that story who had an idea who he was would have kind of like picked up who the person was in their circle. So in order to protect yeah. him, I had to move the story elsewhere and kind of like, yeah, change this fact. So, yeah. that That's crazy. That just made the book look like very different to me. I thought this was just someone making up things. But now if, like, <laughs> knowing that you actually experienced this thing makes the book look very different. Like what kind of what kind of cities are we, are we living in? It's think, crazy what can happen in there. For someone like me who literally has no, <laughs> I have no Lagos life experience, I think I'm going to be very fascinated. Like when I'm done reading it, because like, what's what's going on in this country? Like, is this the same country? Because I grew up more in the north, and everything about Lagos is crazy. So, for someone like me who has no experience about Lagos, it might I might be very freaked out. Like, no, I, <laughs> I, I, and the stories are definitely realistic. I just yeah. want to touch on touch on your. Know your background in, in data protection and privacy. Yeah. What you know drew you to that discipline, and what are your goals with with, with doing that? Is just something that you can achieve? Is just something? Is just kind of like sentimental purpose to you being in that field? I just want to make money. That is, <laughs> and that is the perfect answer. <laughs> that is the perfect answer. And then we wrap it up here. That's how we should end it. <laughs> Because because you have to connect the dots somehow. Like, ask, okay, just from here to there, like just from there to this, and like where where does this come in? Okay, if it, money answers everything, so that makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, I well, mean, if you're doing storytelling, then you can just tie it there. So yeah, I'm into storytelling. So I'm helping protect people's data. Just no, form something. Like no, let's just form something on his behalf. No, well, about on the. On the serious side, I, I think, like I said, everything goes back to being a lawyer. So when I started sharing these stories, or we started sharing these stories on my platform, and then I started going out to, to collect these stories from people, and then I have to seek their permission to publish their stories. I was dealing with personal data of individuals, right? I was dealing with their names, their lives, sometimes their phone numbers, their emails, and these are seen as personal data, which you shouldn't handle anyhow. And then, and if you handle it anyhow, there are consequences. You know, you train the, Cam- the Cambridge Analytica issue that Facebook faced and up to the 2016 election cycle in the USA. So and that kind of like slowly began to expose me to, to data protection or data pri- privacy 
regulation and, and rights. And I kind of like dug deep into the field and I saw it was it was a very rich area of law that was still novel back home in Nigeria then. Now, of course, I really had no idea of, of traveling out. And I think I would say this to several other people. I was one of those who traveled that not wanting to travel out. And it kind of like I was, it, it happened on me. Circumstances of life made it so. And by the time it was becoming a reality, I, I, I couldn't say no because I, I was working in Lagos, did the research. Or when I was speaking with my sister, she was like, oh, yeah, this area is nice. But then uh, you just have your LLB. This is a very vast area that is developing, and you know you're still young. Why not? Why not you go for your LLM? I said, well, I really don't have plans of of forging. And, and sincerely, I, I you know I didn't. I'm not really cut out for the academia. I felt like I've, I've done my bit. There. Let me just focus on on work and money. I'm making two or three kids. You know, I'm retiring from someday in my village. <laughs> but then, she kind of like. You know, but then she kind of like pushed me, and I said, okay, fine. You know what? I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going, I'm going to apply. And then I kind of like applied to only one school. She asked me, I said, I applied to five, but definitely I only applied to one. I prayed there, refused to, you know, give me admission. Sadly, they did. <laughs> I was so sadly because I didn't plan to. And then when they did, I returned that they did. The night I saw the email, I was excited with something else. So I was talking to my sister about something else. And I saw the email and kind of like just blotted it out of my mouth. Like, oh, it has come through. Two days after that, I told her, no, I didn't get the admission. She said, no, but you said you did two days ago. So no need lying. You know, you are going for this. And, you know, and so, I mean, at, at that point, it became a family kind of of meeting. Yeah. Oh, we, I don't want to go. Oh, we want you to. And, and I told them, okay, fine. Let's see how this turns out. So I was working on Tales of Nigeria. And then I knew I had a family to run away from, to settle, if I really want them to off, be off my back. But then that was also the moment I was getting deeper into Facebook. So basically, by the time I got the funding from Facebook, and of course, I already traveled before then, I saw a link and, and, and connection to, to build on this. You know, Facebook is a massive company dealing with, you know, billions of data sets around the world. And getting access to, to them, like visiting the offices here in London twice, kind of like opened up my eyes to the kind of opportunities in the field. And so when I finished school, we might still need to sit coming to get a job in the sector here. And being that I was already handling a community that dealt with a huge number of personal information of individuals, it was able for me to kind of like draw the line, you know, and then connect the dots between my professional life and my semi-professional life or semi-professional for you guys there. So, yeah. <laughs> but then at the end of the day... It's all about <laughs> no, but I like that there is, there is a story behind it still. So I like that. And you're right, data protection is, is very important right now. It's it, we're still at the forefront of what that could look like. So I think yeah. you choose you choose a, a, a good field to make money in. Martin, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you very, very much for joining us. You know, I just want people who are listening to please check out Martin's books and Martin's work. Uh, I'll let I'll let Martin go into a bit more detail on how you can, you know, get access to the book and get access to the community. All right, so they can they can check it out on on Amazon. The books are available on Amazon. Yeah, so you can buy from Amazon. But if you can't afford buying at at the rates on Amazon, which is basically for Nigerians outside Nigerians and every other person for Nigerians in Nigeria, I understand you guys. I understand also 
You can go for the one K one five phone on WhatsApp and get the PDF <laughs> to yeah to connect. And then you know you can join Tales of Nigerians on Facebook. So just go on Google, type Tales of Nigerians, and the available links to join would, would yeah would come up. Yeah, so that's awesome. it. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Thank you very much, Martin. Thank you. Thanks again for being on the show. Thanks everyone for listening. Please check out Martin's works and books. And please continue to leave a rating for the show. Share this with your friend. Send some, send us some feedback. You can you can connect with us on Instagram at how did that sound podcast. And that's our handle. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the week. Yeah, and have a good week, guys. Awesome.